good modern workers. Welcome back to the MoWo Show. My name is Alex Henry, and in today's episode, Ryan and I are joined by our good friend, colleague, and resident cybersecurity expert, Nino Vallis. Nino returns as October is Cybersecurity Awareness Month. And while I'm aware October is nearly over by the time this episode airs, I believe it's never too late or too early for us to learn better online security habits. Now, before we jump into the episode, I just want to remind everyone to subscribe to the Clear Concepts YouTube channel so you can get notified when we upload new episodes from our new live stream series, Watch and Learn. Ryan and I have been actively planning and building our new in-house SharePoint site, Internet, and we are streaming it for you every Thursday morning at 10 a.m. Central. If you want to join us for the stream to ask us questions, say hi, share a story, or just watch us build a SharePoint site, then all you need to do is register online. I'll have a link for you in the show notes. That's it for now. Enjoy the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the MoO Show podcast. As always, Ryan Bialik here behind one microphone, joined as usual by Alex Henry. Alex, how are you doing? I'm doing quite fabulous. How are you doing today, Mr. Ryan? I can't complain. Shouldn't complain. Those, those sorts of things. Um, we've got one of our favorite and most requested guests back with us again. Our good buddy, Nino. How you doing, Nino? Hey, guys. Doing well. How are you guys today? Trying to stay out of trouble. No promises. No guarantees. That's good. So Nino is our go-to security genius, our security guru. And since October is Cybersecurity Awareness Month, we thought it would be a good idea to get Nino on the, on the horn, on the mic again. And let's talk about cybersecurity. Let's talk about some tips. Let's talk about phishing and, and what the bad guys and bad gals are doing, trying to take advantage of people during COVID and sort of trying to get after people that way. So I know you love phishing, Nino. So let's, um, let's start with phishing. Hey guys, uh, thanks for having me back. Uh, it's, as always, uh, it's been good to like have a talk about cybersecurity. I know we've talked about security tips in the past, but and we're gonna talk about phishing emails today, secured web browsing, and password best practices. So right on. So phishing emails, uh, unfortunately, one of the most like or the simplest type of attacks with less sophistication are phishing emails that employs impersonation and social engineering. So those emails that contains few lines of text that spoofs the CEO or the president or even a manager from a company. So uh, usually those emails contains a request about uh, purchasing gift cards and the target employees on the company like uh, I but those emails oftentimes try to avoid phone conversation and only try to uh, negotiate or do transactions over the e over like emails mm -hmm. exchanges so for long-term employee or long-time employees they might spot this as a fake or phishing attacks but new employees or new hires are prime targets from threat actors because i know we all have the best intentions and we don't want to disappoint the boss when they send in a request especially if you just started on the company so victims respond hey what can i do for you and then when they get a reply back that's asking can you go to the supermarket and 
purchase $400 worth of iTunes gift cards. And as soon as the victim scratches the back of the card and sends in the pin code to the threat actors, then there's no getting back the money. Right. And usually it's around $400 to $500. And unfortunately, I've met people that fell victim to it. And it's too late that they realize that the sender address is different from the actual email address of their of their manager, of their boss. Because threat actors often take advantage of gathering information about the company on who's the president, who's the CEO, and create fake emails using Gmail. Like Gmail, Hotmail, and then just use the same display name. Make it look like they sent, it's the manager or the boss that sent the email. So unfortunately, if people didn't pay attention to the sending address, they can, uh, they can be lured or they can be fooled that it's a legit email until it's too late. So always pay attention to the sending address. Double check the prom uh, address if it's correct. And any misspelling should raise a red flag and it should be reported or ignored uh, as early as possible. And try not to respond uh, even if it pressures you or if there's an urgency that this is a rush request, take time, review the email, and again, don't be pressured to reply back because you need to uh, make sure that the email is legit and just always question the nature of the request. So do you, do you think the amount that the, the threat actors ask for, so it's usually around three dollars $400 or four $500 of iTunes gift cards, that seems to be an amount that ah, doesn't feel like too much, but maybe it's a client promotion, maybe it's something from marketing. Uh, that's, that's the typical amount that, that we're seeing? Yes, exactly. So the, I helped someone track down or try to, we, we weren't able to recover the amount, but we did an investigation. And so the email exchanges contains like, hey, I need you to do, I need a favor from you. Can you get back to me as soon as you receive this? Then the victim responded, said, okay, what do you need? Then, of course, the gift cards. And then the, the threat actor said that, hey, I'm in a fundraising right now. I'm too busy. I can't answer calls. Can you send me the pin codes or the, the numbers at the back of the gift cards? Uh, uh, as soon as you receive this, and then of course there's always the, uh, it. It's an urgent request, and the victim mm -hmm. like has uh, was pressured to to purchase gift cards and send the the information back to the threat actor without double checking the the address. Right. So unfortunately, the, for gift cards you can't refund them. So and threat actors has a way of converting it back to cash. So gift cards works for them very effectively. Okay, okay, clever. I, th I, I didn't realize that they could turn the gift card balances back into cash, so that's very, very clever. Okay. Yeah. And, and two, I mean, we, we live our lives both, you know, um, personally outside of work and professionally. We, we live our lives online with social networks, with all of these different tools that, that sort of register us when... Uh, when we become a new employee, or maybe there's a press release or an announcement on a company blog. So it's very, very easy, I think, for these threat actors to do that social engineering. They can go on LinkedIn and get an org chart, and they can see who is the CEO, and as you say, impersonate that person. And who doesn't want to do something for their boss if the boss says it's urgent? I don't want to get in trouble. I don't want to lose my job. I don't want to get fired. And I, and I think 
COVID and remote work and working from home is even an, another interesting angle because it's it's not like you can walk down the hall to the boss's office, you know, give a quick knock on the door and say, you sure you want me to buy $400 of iTunes gift cards? It, we're missing that physical uh, avenue for double checking. So like you say, pick up the phone, you know, verify maybe a message in Teams or, or a text message. Are you sure you want me to buy $400 of iTunes gift cards? Is that, are you sure? Why? Yeah, exactly. Just like having, taking a step to question what mm-hmm. is actually being asked of you, if it seems unusual, is so key. Um, my, I think I shared this in a, an earlier podcast with the three of us, um, but I had one time got an email for a $1,000 Amazon gift card. And this is around something that happened to me at this time. And I'm like, someone get me a gift gift card to celebrate this is weird this is unexpected but the red flag came off because i'm like it's too good to be true so i called it out and turned it out it was a phishing address and i was able to like submit it but i'm not perfect because i've definitely clicked on something i shouldn't have because of um, a client or a partner of ours had actually had an attack that sent out emails to all of their contacts with like so it was like contract information we had just finished wrapping something up with them so i'm like that was a very timely phishing email it was so unexpected and we were lucky enough to contain it um but that was one of those things where if it seems timely even if it seems timely you have to question what's being asked of you yes uh, always remember to question the urgency and question the nature of the request so i got the the boss or the the CEO, the president wouldn't mind responding, hey, I didn't send that. So just to verify before it's too late, because like what I've said, like uh, gift cards are, are very hard or it's impossible to, to refund them back to your account. So how about emails that impersonate um, services or technologies or apps? So I get a lot uh, personal personal story, um, not at work. In my personal Outlook account, I get almost every other day, uh, an email from Netflix that my balance is overdue and they're going to shut down my Netflix account. And here's a little thing. I don't have a Netflix account. I don't actually, I don't, I've never signed up for one with my email address, never done anything like that. But I know it's bogus because uh, the, a couple of reasons is one is the sender's email address. It's usually uh, at live, at Gmail, at whatever, something really goofy. Last time I checked, Netflix wasn't going out of business or wasn't so hard up for cash that they needed to use free email addresses. They have their own domain name, right? Netflix.com. And the other one is, there's, like you say, there's really poor spelling and grammar and usually a logo that is just completely ripped off the internet and, and garbage. So I know those things sort of stand out, but I know we've seen examples of file sharing apps or voicemail transcriptions or, um, OneDrive even, uh, where the threat actors are taking the logos of those products and making it look legit and making a, you know, a file sharing email even look legit. Yeah, it's very common, especially for Office 365. I think that's the brand that gets impersonated a lot by the threat actors. So, because most of us use Office 365. So if we receive an account password reset or if you're if an email that says your account was accessed on this location, so victims 
are inclined to click on it because they want to make sure that their account is secured. But unfortunately, it's one of the most impersonated brands and like a lot of us receive those kind of emails. So again, like what you said, check for grammar errors, misspellings, or if something looks off, just always question it, check the center's address. And if there are links in the email, make sure to hover your cursor over it. And if you see like an address that doesn't belong to Microsoft or doesn't belong to the service that you're subscribed to, just don't click it, just ignore the email. And usually this email ends up in junk. So if it ends up in your junk folder, there was a reason for it probably failed one of the security layers your mail server provides but in any case that it's on your inbox and there's something off or something odd on the email ignore it and report just don't try to click on the link because like clicking on the link can lead to many things so mm -hmm. as much as possible don't be pressured to click or don't be don't reply back to the email and just report it to IT for proper investigation. Right on. Yeah, I remember sometimes I'll look at an email and they'll be able to fake like your boss's name, but there's usually something a little off about it, usually in how it's spelled. Sometimes it's like the first name, last initial or something, but it's different from how it usually comes in is usually an awesome red flag where it's like, hang on, is this your personal email? This is not the one you usually email me from. What's up? And then as you said, next thing to do is hover over that email address sender and see what the link is and see if it actually goes back to where it's supposed to. I think too, another good habit is if you don't, ex if you're not expecting something and it comes in, like if you get suddenly a, a file sharing link from a colleague that you haven't already chatted with or you, you have no context about what they're sharing with you, good habit is pump the brakes, check with that person. Hey, I just got a file share link for uh, an Excel. Did you mean to send that to me? Yes, no. If they say no, I didn't send you anything. Boom, right there. You know that, that that's a phishing attack. Yeah. Uh, I think one of the easiest way to spot it, like if it's a mass email, is check the, the, the two, the recipients. Mm -hmm. If it's blank or empty, it means that you're BCC to the email and lots of you have received the same email. So it's it's likely a phishing attack, especially those uh, file sharing links or buttons. They will be legit, but if it's, if it's sent to everyone, then something suspicious or fishy about it. So let's pivot a little bit. Let's, let's talk about what happens when you do click on one of those bad links. So you, you receive an email, looks good it's a file sharing oh someone transcribed a voicemail for me great this looks good uh and, and what happens or or what should happen if you click on a bad link and then you realize uh oh what's what's sort of the next steps from there burn the computer <laughs> <laughs> so if you happen to accidentally click on a phishing link it's gonna likely take you to a fake landing page uh let's say for example office 365 so it will ask for your username and password, but the actual address of the website is different. It doesn't have it doesn't have to be, I mean, uh, 
it could be HTTPS or those green locked on the side that says that website is secured. But if the domain is incorrect, that's uh, that's a phishing website. So that's fake. Don't ever enter your account in there. And let's say, for example, you accidentally entered your username and password. Doesn't matter if you entered the correct password. It will keep saying incorrect password. But they already captured your credentials and they can take over your account at any time. So if that happens, if you if you don't have local IT, like go to another computer, go to Office 365, change your password immediately. Mm -hmm. And if you have local IT, call them as soon as you as soon as you can and tell them what happened. Just be specific. Tell them that you felt that you entered your password on a fake website and request it to be reset immediately. So just try not to wait because the longer you wait, then the long the the more time the threat actors can access your account and like send phishing emails to your contact list. And worse, they can access the contents of your inbox. And that's a great point. It's time is of the essence when something like that happens. So as I was saying earlier, I had fallen for an email that I thought came from a, a client and I clicked on the link and it downloaded like a little text file to my computer. I didn't realize what happened immediately. But after I, so I clicked on it probably like two times. I'm like, oh, shoot, this is a fake. Mm -hmm. So I ran over to the IT office and just like, hey, I screwed up. Um, this is what happened. What do I do? And I like turned my, I took my, my computer off the internet because I, I was still hooked up to the ethernet. And that's all you can do. And that's the best thing you can do is by just calling it out early, telling IT exactly what happened. Be honest because you'll be able to prevent more damage from happening in the long run than you are by just hiding it and holding on to the information till the end of the day. Yes, because uh, as soon as she, as, to, as soon as they receive, grab your password, stole your password, then they can launch the script, take over your email, create it, create rules to make it look like that uh, you're not receiving emails, but in fact, it's going straight to your deleted folder and they're sending phishing emails to your contact list. So it could be disastrous for some. And uh, and it's very easy to avoid this if you have, if you avoid like accessing those malicious links or if you didn't enter your password. So, but if that happens, just make sure that you report it immediately because as soon as you received it, then we can lock your account and then like, the threat actors will lose access as soon as the account is secured. And and there's no shame. I, I don't think users should should feel ashamed of clicking some of these links and and having to make that call to IT and having to, to sort of lock or reset their password. Some of these emails are really, really legit looking. They're very sophisticated. So mm -hmm. again, if you get bitten by this and you're worried that you're going to get in trouble from IT or you're worried you're going to get in trouble from your management, don't. Because again, these are these are pretty sophisticated attacks, and it's much better that you let someone know right away. Yeah, swallow the pride. Yeah, that's true. Because attacks are evolving; they're becoming more sophisticated. Mm -hmm. They look pretty much spot on as the real ones, give or take a few details. I used to count on them, like because usually those old emails would have like something spelt wrong, like someone would screw like script how to spell Google, 
It would include like a Z in there or something like that. So they used to be easy, but now they're just, they're so authentic. And if your organization supports multi-factor authentication, I say go for it. Like, because if you have multi-factor authentication and if your password gets stolen, they won't have total access to your account. Right. Uh, I love multi-factor authentication on, on any personal service that I use, any social media account that I have, I always, always, always set up multi-factor authentication. And I, and I love it because it drives my wife crazy because anytime I sign into a web app or something uh, and my phone is across the, the house, you know, in, in the living room or in the kitchen or something, it buzzes. And she says, well, what are you doing? You, you always run to your phone. And I said, well, yes, because I have multi-factor authentication turned on. I say, if my password gets stolen or someone figures it out, they still need my phone or they still need my biometric. They still need my fingerprint or they need my, my pin number. And I change all those pins up. So um, multi-factor authentication, while it can seem like a pain in the butt, my goodness, I sleep a lot better at night knowing that I have that on, on, on all of my important accounts. So let's go, let's dive a little bit deeper into, to multi-factor and, and sort of some password hygiene tips. Nino. Oh yeah, sure. Uh, so the, the good thing about multi-factor authentication, like what you said, is that you will need it every time you're logged into untrusted locations. So threat actors, of course, they will be on a different place, like somewhere outside the country on untrusted places. So they will need that code before they can take over your accounts. So without the code, without your like authorization, they can't log in completely. So if that happens, then you, you will have time to report it and recover your account. But that doesn't mean that you can use simple passwords because you feel that I have multi-factor authentication enabled, so I can use a very simple password then. Uh, no, uh, as much as possible, always use strong passwords. It doesn't have to be randomized characters. They can be phrases combined to simple to a single text. Like, I'm going to give an example, like, please do not take all sausage pizza away. So if you combine that in one word, that's a pretty long password. And it's very hard to guess. So it's a matter of combination, like whatever makes you comfortable, uh, like for you to remember. But I'm seeing some like advice that the most secure passwords are the ones that you don't remember. So that's where password vaults, password management tools comes into play. So your one password, uh, what's the name of the other one? Um, LastPass. LastPass. Yeah. Last pass, yeah. Are they sponsoring us yet? <laughs> Brought to you, but no, not yet. They yeah. should. <laughs> I've been using one password for since I've learned about it and it's life changing. Oh yeah. Same here. They're Canadian too, eh? Yeah, they're a Canadian company as well. And they're pretty popular. I guess they're like the leading password management tool. So Yeah, LastPass and One Password are the two I hear about the most. And yeah, nothing mm -hmm. but good things to say. So to summarize, it works by maintaining a list of your passwords. There's a vault. Then you need you only need to remember one master password to access your vault. And then one password will suggest or recommend passwords uh, 
based on the service that you're using. So it doesn't use the same passwords to all your other accounts because that's one of the best practice, practices that you should have. You should never use the same passwords across the services that you use because if one service gets breached, gets compromised, then your other accounts are also at risk. Mm -hmm. So to make it like, uh, more secure. Use unique passwords across the services that you that you access or that you use. One thing I love about One Password, just on that note, is that it'll actually tell you where your weak passwords are and where you're reusing them as well. So it'll flag those and saying you got to change these ones; they're not secure. And that's a great point because if someone gets a hold of your email address and your password, then they're not. It's, this is not someone behind a computer trying every single website you have they can think of with your email. It's just a bot. It's a script, right? That just runs and tries everything based on that information it has, and it's doing it in probably seconds or hours or however long, depending on you know how secure your account is. So I was just thinking about, um, I had a discussion with someone about uh, multi-fact authentication the other day, and they're telling me how they just, they turned it off because it was too inconvenient. They're getting frustrated because they only had one share. It's a shared free account, but it's a business account that they share with all their staff. So, but because it was calling their office, they turned off their MFA. It was too inconvenient for them. And I just kind of like cringed because I said, you don't understand the reason of why you have that authentication in, the, in there. It's to prevent someone from taking that password and just exploiting everything you have in there. If you don't care about what happens in it, that's your risk to take, but I don't recommend it. When you have something like multi-factor authentication, I use what there's one for Microsoft called Authenticator, and then Google also has another one called Google Authenticator. They do the exact same thing, and a lot of websites are starting to support them natively. So if you sign up for a service and you enable multi-factor authentication, you can have your uh, one-time code sent to that app. And then it'll just produce a code for you. It doesn't send you a text message because I find text messages may not be the most secure. If someone gets a hold of your phone number, they might get that message. But if it goes to the app, that's a very secure app and it's basically recycling pins all the time. Let's say if I'm signing into a Microsoft service or a Google service with one of those accounts, it'll just send me a notification on my phone saying yay or nay, do I want to allow this access? And then I click yes and I'm in. It's easier than entering a code, but it's just as secure if not more. Oh yes. Totally. So Nina, when when the when the threat actors, when the when the bad guys are going after some of these services, and we hear about this quite often in the news, it seems like every other month or every few weeks we hear of this particular web app or this particular service was breached and the credentials of two thousand users were released. I'm thinking most recently there was a CRA breach and uh, the bad guys got in there and they got some information on you know, a, a number of people. Is the precious commodity maybe less about what users are storing in those services? Like, uh, do they care about names and addresses? Probably. Maybe they can do identity theft and those kinds of things. But say a social media tool or a web app, one of those gets breached. Is the, is the prize the, actually the passwords? Because those hackers then will go try bank accounts and try other accounts where there might be financial information in them. Yeah, because... Uh those customer information might contain birthdays, contain secret questions to your passwords, unencrypted. So personal experience, one of my accounts uh, were involved in a data breach and I was I received an email that uh, they reset my password because they got breached like that this year, just this year alone. So 
they reset my password and as soon as after I received that uh, advisory from them, I started to receive spam emails to my to my email address. Given that I don't use that email a lot because I use different emails from the, for the services that I use. So I don't send emails outside of that address, but I'm receiving spam mails. So there's definitely a connection for data breaches for the spam emails that you receive. So the your information is valuable to advertisers, to threat actors, so they can buy it off the the dark web or to the black market and then like send you spam emails, phishing emails and hopefully like try to lure someone or like steal information or steal the banking information for someone. So there's a website called Have I Been Pwned, P-W-N-E-D, and it's where you can enter in an email to find out if that account has been hacked on um, a number of different web services and databases. Do you recommend using that one? Because I've always been kind of leery. I'm like, am I just giving someone else my information now by entering this data? No, that's perfectly safe. That's where I also learned where my account was involved uh, uh, on other data breaches. Uh, most common data breaches are the Adobe data breach, MySpace data breach. So it's safe to enter your email address there. It's gonna, it's like a search engine for data breaches. So if your email is involved in one, it will tell you which data breach it was involved. So it's pretty useful because that one time it helped me find out which service was hacked or which service was breached. So I logged into it, changed my password or deleted my account because that's one of the major reasons why you will receive, you receive phishing emails or spam mails because your email is exposed publicly because of those data breaches. Wow. I'm, this is such a rabbit hole. I'm going down and checking it out. <laughs> The good news is, so I'm, I, I searched a couple of my email addresses now just while we're recording, and I have been pwned. Let's see, and I'm just looking at the dates. So, you know, one in 2018, 2019, another in 2018. So, you know, even having um, a habit of resetting your password on a scheduled cadence as well, then in case you forget to check a site like that, at least you're always kind of cutting those things off. Yeah, that's why myself it's just for personal preference i create email accounts based on the service that i want okay. to access especially those less serious ones i just create a random email sign up to it put in different information different birthdays because you know the the only thing that they're going to send you is is their their newsletter and their how-to tips and everything yeah. uh, their, their automated uh, drip campaigns but when it comes to just like producing um, emails, I just had a thought. I started, I learned recently that I could um, take team channels in Microsoft Teams because they all come with an email address and I could technically sign up for a, an account using those addresses as a way, because I don't want, if I don't want to give away my email address to a service, then I could just take that email address and then I'll get all my notifications in Microsoft Teams. It's kind of cool. Kind of, it's how I have my uh, football fantasy set up right now. So um, it was just like a nice way to kind of manage that. And once I'm done with it, I can just close that off and never look at it again. I don't recommend it for everyone. That was more of an experiment. Um, but uh, that kind of like also got me thinking about 
the um like so you can log in with google um those plugins that a lot of websites offer log in with google log in with microsoft log in with apple i think apple is the only one that takes that will create a fake email on your behalf are those more secure in that case or should we just avoid those altogether uh, it depends on the service like uh, if you know it's a trusted service like a reputable vendor yeah go ahead use your legit email but if it's just for one-time use, uh, create disposable emails if you want, just to access their services. Um, I don't advise this, but uh, if you don't feel that the site is secure enough for you, just don't enter your information in it. The first thing I look for is, is the site secure? HTTPS. If it doesn't have the S, get out. Yeah, and also consider that phishing websites also can also purchase certificates and make it look HTTPS. So it, they're, very, they're getting more sophisticated and try to, and evolving uh, depending or depending on the situation or the browser security requirements. It's just cybersecurity whack-a-mole. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so on, on that topic of secure browsing, what else do you recommend, Nino, for, for staying safe as you're you know, perusing the internet? Yeah, uh, one of the most common scams out there are those uh, virus alert from Windows, like those pop-ups that will just show up with the Windows security toll-free number. You need to call us immediately or the the law enforcement will go after you and there's a virus on your computer and it's so hard to close the pop-up. It's just too persistent. And even if you try to restart your computer, it's back there. Because usually web browser restores the websites that you previously have open. So if you see those pop up on your computer, don't call the number. And and if you feel that you don't are you don't have support right now with you, let's say you're browsing the internet at night and you know uh, IT is not available at the moment, press Control Alt Delete and test the web browser and try not to visit that website again because those pop-ups are very difficult to close. Sometimes they have all your recording playing in the background saying, your system is infected. Call us immediately. <laughs> oh, man. But you know what? Pe people, I, I have friends and family who have, oh, I, I called that Microsoft number on the weekend and, and this fellow helped me through my issues. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, I work in tech, right? You, you could have just given me a call and we could have sorted through this for free. Oh, yeah, no, they, they, they took a few dollars off my credit card. It's all good. They solved my problem. It's yeah. like, oh, just you wait. It's yeah. a problem you, you never had. It, they mm -hmm. just connect your computer, do some work stuff, remote stuff there, downloaded some, download some programs, and they, they'll ask for your credit card information saying, hey, we fixed your problem. We click close the pop-up that's showing up on the screen. So they're going to charge you $100 just for five minutes of remote connection. And who knows what else they've left on your computer in the meantime, right? Exactly. Yeah, as a general rule of thumb, um, your computer should never like pop up and say, call Microsoft or Microsoft is going to call you. That's never going to happen. Same with Apple, same with Google. They just They, they don't care. They're not going to call you. So if you ever see that, stay away. Don't worry about it. You're just being scammed. 
Does a does a browser make any difference? Does this the choice of browser make any difference? I know they're pretty well all about the same. I mean, if you're using Internet Explorer, oh maybe, dear, maybe then give give your your head a shake. I mean, certainly some uh, enterprises still use IE because they have an app that you know won't work in a modern browser. But let's even think between Firefox, Chrome, Edge, Brave. I mean, uh, chances are your organization is going to have a standard that they've settled on, but is there things that you can turn on or off? Or is there w ways to even use the browser to make your browsing more secure? Uh, no, with Microsoft Edge, uh, you can change the settings. Uh, it can block trackers, cookies. And with Chrome, before you can download, uh, add in extensions that blocks uh, pop-ups or advertisers from showing up. Uh, ad blocker or view block, for example. I haven't used Chrome in a while, so I can't say if it's still working. I've been using Edge and it's been solid. The new Edge? Yep, I recommend right. everyone. See, that's super That's super telling when our cybersecurity specialist does not use Chrome. Yeah. Just saying, just saying. I, I love Edge. I, I have it. Edge and Brave on my computer, all my computers, and I just swap between them. But I do love the new Edge. It's actually been fantastic because it's built on Chromium. It's the same back end mm -hmm. as Chrome and actually Brave. They're all the same. It's all Chrome in the background. Without the Googliness. Yes. Yeah. My problem with Chrome is that it just eats up the resources on my computer. It slows down using too much CPU, RAM, mm -hmm. and as soon as I close Chrome, everything starts working. If I keep using Chrome like for an entire day, then my computer is going to be sluggish or it's just slowing down because of Chrome. So that's why that's one of the main reasons I stay away from it. Chrome is like the ultimate test on how powerful your computer is by the number of tabs you can have open simultaneously. True, yeah. <laughs> if you can get past 5, you're probably a millionaire with a million dollar machine on your on your desk. Right on. Well, Nino, anything else that you want to cover? Anything else you want to let our listeners know? Um, ideas, resources, things to be on top of uh, during Cybersecurity Awareness Month? Yes. Always pay attention to uh, what you see on your computer, whether it's an email, whether it's a website. Uh, always take time to review the, the prom sender. It could be spooked as well. So if you see that the prompt center looks legit, but the nature of the request is odd or something's off, unusual, uh, just report it to your IT, report it to clear concepts if you're a customer. Don't be afraid that we don't, we've seen all like types of requests about phishings. Some of them are very simple. So we would, we welcome every uh, phishing sample that you have. So don't hesitate to send us a copy or get us to investigate your, your, your account, your computer. So for web browsing, again, don't go to untrusted websites. Avoid downloading stuff from the internet that your IT didn't like approve or unapproved software from the internet. Just try to report everything unusual. If you see a pop-up that shows up in your screen every now and then, and you know it's persistent, it's been showing up for days, call IT because there's there could be an adware installed on your system. That's just, it can slow down and it can steal your information depending on the type. So the best way to 
prevent this from happening is to get someone connected from your IT or from Clear Concepts and do some scans of your machine. And again, for passwords, make sure that you don't write it down, don't share your passwords with anyone, and avoid using it on uh, avoid using the same password across the services that you use. As if you need some guidance with password management or use a, use a password vault, contact your IT. Maybe they have a solution in place and enable multi-factor authentication. So if you know that you don't use it yet, consult it with your IT again and ask if your organization has it enabled for everyone or is it possible to have it enabled on your account. Breach, get the multi-factor authentication set up on everything you use. Mm -hmm. Right on. Alex, any other thoughts before we wrap her up for today? Uh, no, this is actually really helpful. Thank you again for joining us, Nino. Uh, it's always a pleasure to have you on. Yes, thank you. I've been a serious regular here, so I'm so happy to have a talk with you guys again about the things that can help our customers, that can help our viewers, listeners uh, secure their computers, secure their accounts. So, Right on. Well, we, we believe that the modern workplace is a secure place. So you're you're welcome here anytime. You know. Thank you. All right. Take care. Bye. Guys.